Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. When it comes down to it, what are we at our core? We are North American Waterfowl. Hello and welcome to another episode of the North American Waterfowler podcast. Tonight, I've got Josh Peck from Outdoor Limits. He is coming on here to talk about everything that he's got going on in his dove field. He has been sending the whole Flyways Collective guys dove field uh, um, videos for months. And you've been starting to share that a little bit on YouTube. So if you watch his channel, Outdoor Limits, you've kind of been seeing the dove field progress and by the time you hear this podcast he will have probably already hunted it 11 12 13 you gonna hunt that thing every day no no <laughs> maybe so anyway josh how, how are you how's it going tonight buddy <laughs> it's going great i actually just finished up getting everything ready for this weekend so bags are packed yeah Every, everything's been greased oiled and recharged Right. And that's definitely one of the things I want to talk about. So um, how the outline is going to look tonight is we're going to talk about Josh's season from two days from now and plans that he has. We're going to talk in depth about his dove field. And he's going to teach me a lot because I don't know anything about like how to plant a dove field, the process, the seeds. I know nothing about it. So he's going to really educate all of us on that. We're going to talk about his dog Cora update because that is a is a story for sure from start to finish us a, a great story of perseverance and success really um so those are kind of the three things that we're going to talk about um what what have you been doing lately josh what how have you been filling your time the last month been working and getting things prepared for the season and just spending time at home and spending time with family well i was saying i was gonna say it's been kind of a vacation ever since duck season ended for me i've uh 
taken quite the break. I backed off on YouTube. I, I took like a month or two completely off, but then I've really backed off throughout the spring and summer. And uh, I'm ready to get back at it. I needed a nice little break, and uh, I got that. Yeah, I would love to talk more about that because for those of you that don't know um, the whole background, Josh started his YouTube channel 2015. He and I were the only two guys that I know of that were actually putting together the modern day kind of vlog stuff back in 2015. And that time, what, you were a freshman in college, sophomore? Uh, sophomore, I believe. Yeah, it was my sophomore year. And so since that time, you have, I think, almost exactly doubled my output as far as videos goes. I, I was I was looking at you. I mean, you have been as consistent a content creator as there is ever been that I've ever seen. And that's the thing with like podcast videos. Everyone can do video one through 20. Talk to us at 550, 600. How many do you have right now? I think I'm close to a thousand. That's gotta be like 800 or so. I think I'm close yeah. to a thousand. You've literally doubled my output um, since that time. So can you talk a little bit about just that, the consistency, the workload, the effect it played on you, what brought you in your decision to really back off this last uh off season it's been a long road man i i right. hit it hard um basically since 2016 so in 2015 i was just kind of posting videos just for fun and some memories but then in 2016 i was like you know what i see these guys vlogging their fishing trips and doing all this other stuff it's like why not do that for duck hunting and so that's what i did and people seem to really enjoy it Granted, I had a really good season that year. Uh, yeah, 16, 17 season was pretty awesome. Um, yeah. But following grew, and so my commitment to it grew. I saw this as a business opportunity. I mean, as a, I was working at an embroidery shop in college making seven twenty five an hour after class. And so <laughs> it, it was um, – money was a little tight. <laughs> so <laughs> – what were I you doing this... in an embroidery shop exactly? Okay, well, let's... Were you sewing stuff? So were you sewing? In 2016, we started Mally Wacker Outfitters. And so we started making hats and hoodies and shirts and selling them online. And I got so tired of things taking so long to get out of the embroidery shop that I eventually just started working there. And that was my... <laughs> that, yeah. Yeah, so I, I was actually <laughs> embroidering all the hats that I sold. I had never knew that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I did all this. I did tons of, like, polo shirts. or I remember this one time I did this jean jacket. It was, the like, a 14-inch wide, the seal for the Marine Corps. I did that uh -huh. on the back of a um, jean jacket for somebody. <laughs> nice. Nice. But yeah, money was tight. And so I saw an opportunity for this to really take off. I was making a little bit of money and I was like, why not just go all in? And uh, that's what I did. And so I took it really seriously. I started making off-season content. I was doing waterfowl Wednesdays. And at that time, I was working at a summer camp in the summers. So I wasn't able to film anything. So I'd batch record everything I was going to post from basically middle of May to the end of July. And so that started the off season content and it just grew and grew and grew. My commitment grew and grew and got me to where I was, well, where I am today. And what happened was, is I've been at it for so long. I haven't taken a break. 
Right. And that was a much needed thing to happen this year. I was just so mentally drained. I lacked the enthusiasm that I should have had for what I do. And so it, I knew it was time for me to take a, take a break back off and recharge my batteries. And how, how has that affected you? It's been really great. I, I was t- telling my wife earlier, I was like, this was the summer of Josh for you because I was home all the time. I wasn't doing any summer projects, really working on boats. So I got to spend a lot of time with my wife and family this summer. Yeah, that's fantastic. And coming out of that, do you still feel a little burnout or a little bit of like, like I have to go back to the job? Are you totally rejuvenated in between Um, there somewhere? I'm kind of in between there at this point. I'm definitely ready. And the closer that season gets, the more excited I am about it. Um, but I do think that this is going to be an interesting season for many different things. But one of them is that I'm Mm -hmm. probably going to spend a little bit less time in the field than I have in the past, because what happens is I'm spending days and days and days filming and hunting and it really takes a toll on my body and just mental Mm -hmm. health in general. You can get so burnt out. Like I remember I called Mm -hmm. my mom at, at a boat ramp last January. I was like, I'm sick. I'm getting mad at my dog when she's doing nothing wrong. It's uh, it's time yeah. for me to think of maybe pa- putting this on pause for a little bit. I, I think that was a good choice for you. I, I know that you had been sending, because if you guys don't know um, the whole Flyways Collective thing, we still communicate with each other quite a bit through the Marco Polo app. And you had been posting some stuff on there, just kind of, we vent to each other through the group and and you had kind of been letting it known that you were feeling real frustrated and tired and, 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 and all of that. And, you know, when any, even as much as you love waterfowl hunting, when it becomes a job and it's not, Oh, I get to, I want to, I, but it becomes, I have to, it's a different mm-hmm. mindset. And exactly. I've wondered that about myself too, because my number one goal is to be able to no longer um, teach and, be able to hunt whenever I want to. And and I want, I said, I wonder sometimes when that happens, will the excitement that I have on each individual hunt lessen? Because it's like, I get my, I get my time that I can go and that's it. And I crave it so bad. And I'm wondering how it will affect me when, when I get to do that. It, it, I would imagine there would be some kind of like, well, this isn't quite as wonderful as I thought that it is, but I don't know. It happens. I don't know. It, it goes in waves. You know, some days you're out there with your buddies having a good time and it doesn't even feel like work, but then there's other mornings when you're rolling out of bed, punching the time clock. So it, it just goes up and down. Right. Right. You want to talk a little bit about um, your relationship with Rogers final approach and kind of what your um, role is there. And it seems like you'd be having a bigger and bigger role all the time. And, um, I even had someone say, man, those, uh, those Rogers guys love Josh. I had someone say that on, on the side to me. I know you're really well liked out there and, and doing a lot. Yeah, this is, this is something I haven't put out to the public. Like I don't think ever in the past. Well, and we don't, but... we don't have to, I mean, it's not something if oh, you don't no feel big, comfortable I, sharing I, that I actually, I, I think it's something that I want to share, but I have kind of kept it under wraps because I didn't quite know how to share it. So this story starts um, three years ago, 2020. So 
I had been promoting for Rogers Sporting Goods throughout the 2018, 20, no, 2019, 2020 season. And so at that time, I had a part-time job working for the county. And it was part-time until COVID hit. And then I had to work 40-hour weeks, which when you're trying to run a business yourself and work a full-time job, it takes a pretty big toll on you. So I was working summer mm -hmm. camp 40 hours a week outside and dealing with all the COVID stuff. And so I go in to have a meeting with Roger Sporting Goods and negotiate things for this year and talk about new products and whatnot. And so what happened was they actually offered me a job to work for them. And it was pretty cool because I did not go into that meeting expecting that. But make a long story short is I started working for Roger Sporting Goods in 2020 and I'm in charge of doing a lot of the photos and website descriptions on the Rogers website. So I get to play with all the new products before anybody else gets to see them and uh, get to be involved in the outdoor industry, which is pretty cool. So I, I've taken, I've, I've never really shared this because I didn't know quite what to say or how it would come off, but I hope people see that I'm not, promoting a, a product because I work for the company as well. I'm promoting the product because I believe in the product. I work for the company and I believe in the product. So I guess that's a good way to put it, mm -hmm. but it's been really cool. Right. And there's no way I would be in the outdoor industry doing what I do, getting to do hunting and fishing and talk hunting and fishing every single day uh, without having picked up a camera and started filming. So pretty crazy story uh, from start to finish, just, putting a GoPro on a tree and filming duck hunts to being in the outdoor industry. Yeah, really. I, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it changed the course of your life completely. Weren't you were in like going into box. Cause I remember videos of you doing like uh, electro studies on fish way back in college. So you were actually going to be like a biologist, weren't you? Yeah. I was going to school for wildlife and ecology. Right. And look where you are now. You never, that's what's so cool about life. It's like little things you don't see coming can just mm -hmm. completely change the whole direction of your life. And, and, uh, I'm sure that there would be so many people that would just die to be in your shoes where, you know, they're working completely in the waterfowl industry. You're really open on your hunt schedule when you get to hunt. And I mean, as far as the common hunter would say, you're living the dream. And I think you're living For the dream sure. too. I got to remember how lucky I am and uh, appreciate it right yeah but that and that doesn't make your frustrations any less real no, i mean you have a bad day you find frustrated but it's hard to you know it's hard to balance it. and it's hard to talk waterfowl hunting every single day all day it can mm -hmm. it can get to be where like i want to go play call of duty and hang out with my <laughs> wife and do, yeah you know what i mean so it's good to take yeah. take those breaks and uh if you're if you're passionate about something don't let your ambitions make it to where you're not passionate about it anymore absolutely yeah my one video game is rocket league i've got my i come home after have you ever played that rocket league no i've got a buddy at work that tells me i should play it though oh man it's awesome it's awesome i, I get in a little bit after work when i if, if like i'm off there somewhere i wake up and play a little bit it's a fantastic game anyway i'm not a huge video game guy now, I used to be in my life a big video game guy, but now it's like that stuff can suck way too many hours out of you if you're not careful. Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is... Like the idea is to be a content producer, not a consumer. Yeah. I uh, I never played video games until January. 
I had an Xbox really? in college. Yeah, so I had an Xbox in college, and we played it in the in our apartment. But no, I haven't seriously played video games since like 2016, 2017. And then yeah. I was like, you know what? I want to get an Xbox. And so in January, <laughs> I got an Xbox, started playing. And Summer of Josh. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Getting those Warzone Ws. <laughs> Yeah, power to you, man. You deserve it. You worked your ass off. You deserve it. You deserve some Josh time. (laughs) I do. (laughs) But in all seriousness, uh, I I would agree. We got we got bird season starting on Friday. We do. So three things we're going to talk about. I'm gonna let you pick one. Which one we talk about first? I want to talk about your season uh, schedule, the Dove Field, and Cora. Which one of those you want to talk about first? Uh, Let's talk about the Dove Field. A summer project. Okay. So tell us about right. So I would love to get into the specifics of the process from the day you decided it until I mean you're going to be. I assume you're hunting it this Friday. Surely you're hunting it Friday, right? Yes. You said you're packing your bag, so it's making me wonder a little bit. I was like, all right. So so t- go go through the process process with us. I was thinking about this when I. First got word that Kansas was not going to let us film on public ground. And so I had to think of ways to where I can still do what I love to do, which is, well, I can go hunt in Kansas. I just can't film. So I can still do what I love to do, but I like to film it. So I got to figure out a way where I can film it and post it on YouTube. And so my family owns ground and I got to talking to them and I got approved to plant a sunflower field. I did so much research on this, reading articles, watching YouTube videos. Like that was my job for a week was figuring out, Mm -hmm. I want this, but I have no clue how to do it. And I found some very helpful online resources to walk me through the process. There was two seed varieties that I could choose from. One is a seed that is a little bit more difficult to find. I can't remember the name of it. Clearfield sunflowers. So that is a special sunflower seed that you plant and you can spray certain types of broadleaf herbicides on them. So they're resistant to that. The ones that I planted were the black oil sunflowers and I can't remember the the real name for them, but they're not resistant to any broadleaf herbicides. So that's your two options. I went with the, the bag of bird seed. I saw a video on this and Yes, indeed. You can plant a sunflower field with a bag of bird seed. And I did just one like bag. straight from a, like Walmart, just, just Walmart yeah. bird seed. Just the ones with the Cardinals on the <laughs> really? back. Yeah. <laughs> really? Yep. I never would have 20 thought. 20 bucks. 20 bucks. <laughs> I was trying to figure out whether I was going to put it in rows or broadcast it. My options were my lawn spreader. Or a one-row planter. And how big is the field? One acre. And if you want to have, so that would be quite. That would still be quite a bit for a little lawn spreader. It was. It was a lot more work than I thought it was going to be. But the one-row planter, <laughs> I would have done like twenty-four inch spacing between rows. So back and forth mm-hmm. and back and forth for an acre. It would have taken a long time. I think it would have taken longer than a broadcast spreader did. But anyway, we. Uh-huh. I went with the bag of bird seed and broadcasting it with my lawn spreader. 
And fortunately, my family has a lot of farm equipment. So we went over the field first with something called a Turbo Max. And uh, this was a bean field. So it was pretty low stubble in there. We just had to break up the ground and get it roughed up. So the Turbo Max is kind of like a disc, but it just kind of really does the top couple inches of the soil and breaks it up. Then I went over it with the broadcast spreader and the bag of bird seed. Now, if you look at the videos you can, and see the drone video, you can see exactly where I was walking with that broadcast spreader. I think it really only threw the seeds about two feet away from it. So uh, the, the coverage was mediocre, but it came up good. Mm-hmm. And then after I, I spread the seed on the field, I went and put two bags of fertilizer on it. So I spread 13, 13, 13 fertilizer. You can just get it at Home Depot. So all in all, cost-wise for planting was one bag of bird seed and two bags of fertilizer. So it was like 70 bucks. That only one bag of bird seed lasted that whole, that whole yeah. acre. Yeah. Wow. It was probably a big bag. Like what was that? How many pounds? Like a big bag of dog food, like a 35 pound bag of dog food size. It was smaller than a bag of dog food. I think it was like a 20 pound bag. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Wow. They're tiny what about seeds. the other seeds? Did did because it did the so didn't did the other seeds come up or is it just only uh sunflowers? It wasn't like a mix of seeds, it was just strictly only sunflower seeds in that bag. Yeah, it was strictly only sunflowers. But if you want to make a mean dove field and okay. whoever you're planting on or you own the ground and you don't mind having millet, get the one with the millet. It's pretty nasty. Mm. Then you go through and burn it mm. and then you mow it. Yeah. That's what's up. Hmm. But I wasn't allowed to plant mullet, millet. Um, so we did fertilizer, and then we came over it with a harrow, uh, which is basically dragging dirt over top of it. Uh, that's, uh, that's what my family uses on the farm to rough up the dirt and get it ready to plant. So pretty minimal tillage. And, and I just waited for rain, and then they started sprouting. After, How long does it take to get from the 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 seeding to when you they start like the whole process? How long was that? Okay, well, I guess I should something important I should say is the time of year that I planted. It was uh, I I believe it was like the last week of April is when I planted. Okay, and so I came out again on Memorial Day weekend, and I had they were in like the six to eight leaf stage, so they were about six inches up off the ground. And that's when I sprayed for grasses because that's the only thing I could spray on those sunflowers was for grasses. I got a product called Grass mm-hmm. Out Max and mixed that up in a sprayer and just went around the field touching up any spots where grass was coming through. And then it was mm-hmm. just a waiting game since then until it was time to mow. So where 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 is it at? Um, where is it at now? Like I know that you've um, mowed strips in it, right? Yeah. So this past week... I went out there and I was waiting till about this time of year to do this because I wanted the heads to get really dry. So then the seeds would knock out of them. Uh, if you, if you don't wait long enough or they're not fully matured and brown and dry, uh, it, it, 
the seed's not quite developed with a hard enough shell to where it's just going to deteriorate. And so it was nice and dry. The heads were all kind of busting open. The, half of the seeds were out of the heads and on the ground already. So that's how I knew it was time to mm -hmm. mow. And what we did was we took the field and we mowed strips with a 15 foot brush hog, leaving about six foot sections, six foot wide sections of standing sunflowers to give the doves some cover. And so I think we mowed probably mm -hmm. seven ish lanes in there. It's going to help the doves get in there, be on the ground, find the seed, but it's also going to make it incredibly easier to find the birds that we shoot. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's kind of the start to finish on the dove field is in, in the Midwest here, uh, I'd say plant late April, early May, probably late April is better. And then spray what you can, whether it be something that's the plants resistant to, or just for grasses and just wait your biggest, the biggest thing that you want to have in a dove field is clean ground. So you want to try and limit the amount of weeds that are in your field. So then there's bare dirt. So the doves can find the seeds a lot easier. So come late August, time to mow and then time to hunt. Have you been, have doves been using it? Yes, they have. There's been quite a few. So if you're you happy at, with, you're happy with what you're seeing out there. I'm happy with what I'm seeing. It's not quite the numbers that I was hoping for, but we'll see what happens this week. We had a little cold front this past weekend, which could have pushed some more birds in, but yeah, man, it's, it's, it's looking really good. It's definitely like a one or a two man shoot kind of deal. But if you look at the video that I posted yesterday, on the drone video, as my uncle's going with the tractor mowing it on the first pass, you can see doves just lifting up and flying out of the field. So there's at least, I'd say nice. at least 30 birds in there right now that I could tell. Little rats with wings. Um, Yeah, that's, yeah, well, I wasn't going to go there, but <laughs> <laughs> I do like dove hunting, but they are, I, I've said this lots of, if you get like a nice fresh little blueing in your hand and a little and a little dove in your hand to me there's certainly a rat with wings type of feel <laughs> more, but more, i know you love so. them i'm see you were number two on the leaderboards last year last year you were second in the north american waterfowler you shot 63 that's a lot of, that's a lot of dove to shoot man we had a nine man in one evening yeah oh you did you went on a nine man dove limit last year yeah was that up in nebraska yes it was now we weren't all hunting the same spot, but we were all within like the same cow pasture. Let me see how many you averaged per. You averaged ten and a half doves per hunt. That's a really good average. <laughs> that I was mean, really good. Yeah. Yeah, you had a good year that year. Did you were you reporting in twenty one twenty two? No, you weren't. I don't think you had yeah, doves so, in there. No, but it's now that they're on the leaderboards, it's retroactive. So like you can go back last year and and sort it by Kansas because I've updated the leaderboards so now you can sort by state and and now that's all in uh, in there it's you, it's retroactive you can go back and look backwards on the leaderboards. So what was your dove hunting like before this year? So are are you going to hunt still the public or just is it just this field and what you do in Nebraska or tell me about I'm, your dove hunting history? I'll probably just go wherever the wind blows this year um probably a lot in missouri be my guess so i've, I've got a couple of mm -hmm. options for this weekend i don't 
think I want to hunt my field all the time because I want to have consistent good hunts out of it. So if I hunt it, right. probably won't hunt it again for a week. But uh, mm. I'm, there's definitely some other public options out there. And I, if I could find some ponds to hunt on, that'd be really fun too. I love hunting doves on ponds. I think I actually like hunting doves on ponds more than in crop fields. Oh, I completely agree. In fact, I didn't even realize that people hunted them in crop fields because growing up, that's all we did was hunt them on, on ponds. I had never even, I didn't have a big friend group that hunted at all. So it was just my immediate family. And that's, that's the way we always did it. I went back and I, I have to walk myself back on the rat with wing thing because I went, uh, although they do still look like that. But last year I went on a dove hunt back to one of those ponds that I grew up on. And I hadn't been on a dove hunt like that in probably 20, 25 years. And I had so much fun. I'm like, okay, I remember now what I like so much about it. I mean, it was really, really enjoyable. And it didn't hurt to be back at, you know, where I was hunting like in the late eighties as a kid. And it's always nostalgia. I took my mom and dad with me. So the whole thing was really, yeah, dove hunting is a lot of fun and they taste really, really good. There's nothing wrong with how a dove tastes for sure. Oh yeah. And you can get your dog out get them all trimmed up for the season too. Did Cora dove hunt last year or is she still on the sidelines? She was on the sidelines until big duck. Cause Georgie struggled mightily on that dove hunt. She just couldn't smell them. And I mean, it, it took about halfway through the hunt. She started getting a little better. I don't know what it was, but like, she just ha- didn't seem to have a clue with and the ones landed in the water. She was fine. But if it was on the bank, she just was like, and I do think that her out of all of her ability set, her nose is her, weakness i'd say it's probably average to a little below average just from what i've seen so far but i was like oh my gosh she just she really struggled to find them so Hmm. it'll be interesting to see how cora does i've taken cora on some dove hunts before though yeah i think that should help us if if Mm -hmm. she forgets all the bad things she did on those dove hunts but uh (laughs) I, i think she knows what what a dove smells like and she's got a head of a nose on her yeah. yeah. Imagine puppy dog on a check cord. <laughs> Did you watch that video I posted the other day? Um, if it was recent though, I, I, was it a Cora video? Well, it was a throwback to when I took her dove hunting. I think it was the last time I took her dove hunting. I had her on a check cord and we were making some, some decent progress. I'm curious to see. No, how she's I didn't, I didn't see the last one. I saw Cora is the blinds on water. You did. Yeah. I haven't done a Cora update in a while. But there hasn't been much to report on. I like all your Cora videos. Yeah. Well, let's let's go into Cora a little bit and the story of her because I, I've always said that, you know, as training a dog, it's such an emotional roller coaster of like highs and lows. But your your story with Cora is even more of a roller coaster. I mean, you know, being your the first dog that you really gotten into and you know, it's, it's really been a journey for you. And again, your perseverance sh- shine through. Cause now it seems like you're having a really, really good place. Not that she's going to be perfect because no dog is dogs are always going to do dumb stuff eventually, but um, you certainly have her in a good spot. Go back through kind of the, the story of Cora. Oh boy. Here we go. Uh, <laughs> I had not had a dog my whole life. Never grew up with one. My parents never wanted to have a dog around the house, so we never did. Never got one in college because I knew that. See, I did not know this. I did not know you had never even had a dog ever. Ever. Never, ever. 
I've, I dog sat that, that's for a, that's a whole people. bigger story. So you, yeah, uh-huh. she she's my first dog. Okay, like the first dog. So I got uh-huh. to talk to my wife, and I was like, I think it's it's time for a dog, and this is something that I'd wanted my whole life. I fell in love with Springer Spaniels when I was a kid. Uh, we we'd go to a cabin mm-hmm. in Minnesota, and the guys who owned the cabin had two Springer Spaniels, and I remember vividly. There was one summer where one of them had puppies. And so I got to hang out with about nine Springer Spaniel puppies for a week. That got me hooked. And so ever yeah, since nice then, dogs. oh, yeah, I, I still want a Springer. But they won't make very good duck dogs, mm-hmm. I don't think. But I got to talk mm, to my wife. Yeah, I mean, not compared to a lab, but. Uh, we'll see. Maybe one day I'll give it a shot. But I talked to my wife. I said, yeah. you know, it's time. it's time to get a dog. And. I got to looking, looking at breeders, figuring out what's what. And this was when everybody was going nuts for dogs because it was COVID year. Everybody wanted to have a dog because they were working at home. Mm-hmm. And so that made finding a dog much more difficult because there was such demand for it. So I talked to one of my buddies. I asked him where he got his dog from because he's a good dog. And uh, that breeder had a litter coming. And so I put a deposit in on a female. At second pick, if I put my deposit in on Thanksgiving Day, I would have had first pick. But I think I, I think I got a good dog, even though I had second pick and there was mm-hmm. only two females in the litter. So puppy pickup mm-hmm. day, I didn't even get to see any other pups. It was like, bloop, here's your pup. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> it was late January. It was freezing outside. And she's sitting there in the grass while we're still at the breeder's. I'm like trying to squeaky toy or whatever, get her to run around. No, she's just going to sit there. She sits there and stares at us, <laughs> and she's got this big old basketball of a gut. I'm like, what is what, – okay, I guess I guess we'll uh, just take her home, and maybe she'll open up a little bit. And we go over to my wife's uh, brother's house because they, they live down in that area, so we stop by to say hi and – in that backyard, she perked up and started running around and chasing me. It was it was really fun. And when we got home, well, the whole way home, she was farting. So me, first-time dog owner, I don't know what this puppy's going to do. Is it going to poop in my truck? I don't know. It's in my wife's lap, uh-huh. so it's her problem, I guess. Uh, but we get home, <laughs> and, man, she lets out just a monster turd, like the size of her. <laughs> So I, I think uh, she was she was an aggressive eater around her brothers, um, but yeah. Then I started training her. It was it was a fun process. She really picked up on things pretty quick, and all of the obedience went smoothly. Like it was struggle free. We went through hold conditioning pretty quick compared to what most people have to experience, and then we got to move into retrieving. So I was following the Cornerstone program, and it's outlined. You know, here's four four days of drills. Do these every day. See where you're at. If you're pretty in line with what the weekly checkpoint says, you're going to move on to the next week. And so we went boom, 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 week, 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 keep going through until we uh, get into retrieving. And that's kind of where things were getting to be a bit of a struggle. She was getting to that age where she's about six, seven months. They test boundaries. And... Mm-hmm. she was just kind of being a little butt, but right. it all worked out in the end. Our, our biggest, I'd say our biggest issue that we encountered was 
uh, a delivery problem. I don't know exactly where mm -hmm. it originated from, but it was more evident after she had hunted that first season that hunted her for a little bit. Cause before that, it really wasn't that bad of an issue in training. She would recall really good. She'd bring bumpers back. Like when I hunted her, I knew that she had every skill that she needed to go get that mark and bring it back. But what I was trying to do with her and what I wish I had known at the time was that by rushing through the program and trying to crank through as much material as I could, she could do it, but it wasn't like fully solidified. And so right. I, she was covered through all the material that she needed to hunt that season. But I think by rushing through it, I, it didn't solidify and we had issues come up. And as a first time trainer and a first time with a dog, you, you're trying to, you don't really have a clear idea of like, what is mastery to move on? You're kind of probably guessing on that because you just have never done it before. Right? Yes. And no, I had, like I said, in the, in the cornerstone program, there's weekly checkpoints where there's a dog that's, that's as far into training as they have been doing the drills that you've been working on that week. And so mm -hmm. measuring things up, it was like, yeah, we're pretty close to that. Okay. And so I thought, I thought she was ready, but yeah, I, I think the biggest advice I could give somebody who's a first time trainer is to take your time. Don't rush into your first season mm -hmm. with the dog. Um, I wish I had. Right. And Absolutely. every, every dog I'm going to have from now on, I'm not going to hunt them until they're at least two years old, just because of what I've seen and the differences in maturity and obedience and even just retrieving skills and handling skills mm -hmm. by the time they're two years old, it's much more solidified and you're going to have a much more consistent dog. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of pros say the same thing about two years. Georgie started at about a year and I think four months, I think, um, which I have no, no issue with what time frame she started. But you know, these guys that, you know, I started my dog at, six months, seven months, you know, I mean, it's just, can some guys get away with it? Sure. I guess it just depends on what you're trying to have that dog's career and final point B. Um, you know, if you're just, I, I don't know, it, it's just, you're way better off to wait and make sure your dog is fully ready every time. It's just, that's just the smartest decision. If, if you're really trying to finish your dog off in training. Well, and hunting them too early can really form some bad habits. I don't, yeah. I don't know for sure about Cora's whining, but mm -hmm. something tells me that that's something from when I first hunted her and it was just way too overwhelming for her. And so that right. was her, her outlet for her excitement was whining. Um, mm -hmm. we'd done some mock hunts of sorts, but I think the hunt itself, when she was, I think, 10 months old is when I hunted her. Something like, yeah, she was born in December, hunted mm -hmm. in September. So, yeah, 10 months. I think I think it was just way too overwhelming for too much stimulus, and she wasn't right. properly introduced to it. I mean, it's just like looking at gun-shy dogs. It's, they're only gun-shy because they weren't properly introduced to gunfire, Right. So right. I think it's, it's equally important to take your dog out, 
to a pond or lake or whatever, put decoys out, get duck calls going, blow or shoot guns, get them excited, bring out all the excitement of the hunt to fully prepare them for when it's actually go time. Mm -hmm. So I guess let's circle back to the big struggle with Cora and it was a delivery problem. She would go out on a retrieve, great line down, pick it up, come back looking great. She'd get to be about 10 feet in front of me and then just bolt. I don't know what caused this keep away problem or, or what happened, but it just, it came up and it never went away. And Mm -hmm. I went down to Alabama to work with the cornerstone guys. They helped me out gave me some suggestions and inevitably I had to use an e-collar on Cora when Mm -hmm. I, I, I'm not anti e-collar, which there's a lot of people that think that there's guys that are anti e-collar. I think it's everybody is fond of using tools to help your dog succeed whatever that may be. Right. And so even the, even Josh from Cornerstone, I had a conversation with him and he's like, you know what? I I think that putting a collar on her and collar conditioning her would drastically help you because the, Mm -hmm. the big problem was, is my dog knew that distance was her friend. When she was next to me, she was great because I was there. But when she got out away from me, my voice, the whistle, it, it was just nothing to her. She just blew me off and played keep away. And so I started collar conditioning her. And within the first day of that, it was like, boom, my dog's back to normal again. I don't know what happened, but. Well, you taught her that you can reach her at a distance. You taught her that no matter how far away she was, if she didn't do what you said, then there was going to be a repercussion to that. Exactly. I, it made all the difference in the world. And yeah. I've learned a lot about e-collar since then. Like I'm, I'm a big learner. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but I'm constantly trying to learn more about different things. Like whether it be planting Mm -hmm. sunflowers or how to train dogs, I'm just constantly trying to research things I'm interested in. And I think that's why your learning curve for duck hunting was. So we talked about this years ago that you progressed as a duck hunter so quickly because you're reading your, when you get into something, you'll you dive into it and you put you just spend time on it and it makes your learning curves shorter than most people's uh yeah it's uh for better or for worse uh right it can be kind of impulsive sometimes there's a blue truck <laughs> in my driveway <laughs> <laughs> yeah i found out that the tacoma had a blown head gasket and they and something else going on with it and they're like you know what we're gonna need to replace the engine it'll be about six grand I said yeah um, uh, head gasket's not good I said, nah, I think I'm okay. And I drove across the street to the Ford dealership and picked out a truck. <laughs> when was this? Uh, 2020. <laughs> okay. I, I didn't know if this was, I didn't know if this, this was recent. Like you got a new one. No, no. This is okay. one I've been driving for years. But yeah. It was that out old of one needed to go, man. That old one needed to go, Josh. <laughs> I know. I needed four wheel drive. It was a great upgrade. It's it a was. great upgrade. You went from okay. a college kid to a man on that purchase. <laughs> I did. I did. And uh, I got 7,000 trade in for that Tacoma. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Did they look at the head gasket before they no, gave you that? No, they said the check engine lights on. I was like, yeah, it's a misfire on oh, cylinder four. Oh, man, you weasel. <laughs> yeah. 
Hey, well, they screw those car people screw us enough. They can get screwed every now and then, right? Yeah. They they said they'd buy it. They didn't ask any questions. I told them what the problem was. Yeah, it was a their problem. on cylinder four. <laughs> yeah. Hey, buyer beware. You flip yeah. the tables on them. So collar so conditioning helped out tremendously with Cora. And mm-hmm. ever since we did that, we were able to progress in our training. It was our, our biggest hang yeah. up was the delivery problem and whistle stops and the collar corrected mm-hmm. both of those. I went from having to use a check Boom. cord on her for whistle stops to being able to use the e-collar to in- enforce whistle stops. And that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's like, that was the one piece that my dog needed to be successful. She knew exactly what to do, but she was choosing not to do it. Right. And Cause you couldn't enforce I, it. I know. And I, I was so determined. I don't know why I was so determined to, not put a collar on Cora because you know, have have you ever been on a hunt with somebody whose dog has been collar conditioned and they forget the collar or the collar dies during the hunt and the dog does not perform as it should? No, I never have. And Georgie's not like that at all. So I I've seen, I'd say they did. I'd say they haven't used the collar properly. If that's the case, then they, they have, they have gone about their business incorrectly. But anyway, that was my process is like, I don't want to have to rely on having this piece of equipment that could fail mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. control my dog. I wanted to have a quick recall whistle. Here she comes and not have to mess around with the collar. But right now I know. And I know now you've probably realized that you don't even have to use your collar most of the time. Once you get them conditioned, it's like most, I'd say 95% of hunts, you don't, maybe not that much, but you just rarely, rarely on a hunt have to even use the collar. Yeah. Yeah. If anything, it's on vibrate. Right. And all the hunt test stuff, that's all you don't wear collars during any of that. So it's like Georgie will perform exactly the same without a collar as she will with a collar. It just doesn't make a difference to her. She's just can totally conditions. I think that's just about how you go about your program of introducing it and the the whole process. Mm -hmm. So we got, we got our, uh, our progress made. We started doing whistle stops really consistently. We started running blinds. And uh, at that point, we went into her first real hunting season. And so her first hunt of the season was in North mm-hmm. Dakota with Jordan. So I know you you really took a beating on some of your YouTube videos. And I was feeling for you during that. because, And I will commend you right now. You did not hide anything when you took Cora on a hunt you were just you put it all out there I don't think I could have shown I because I, people on YouTube are just so vicious and man you were as authentic through that process as anyone possibly could be and I don't think people get what a unusual thing that is to how authentic you were through those videos you know what it's, you paid the price all, for it, though. Well, <laughs> you hey, paid the price in the comment section, I'll tell you that. <laughs> they, they can talk, but it, at the end of the day, it's memories for me. Right. You know, We talk about why we started filming yeah. is for the memories, mm-hmm. right? This is my first dog, and I have captured right. every step of the process from start to finish. It's pretty darn mm-hmm. cool. And I catch myself every now and then going back to the first. I did daily videos for the first week I had her. And that is probably my favorite thing that I had ever done and ever posted because I can go back and see 
her hopping around in the snow as an eight-week-old puppy. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Then I can also absolutely. go back and see all the times that she was not being a good dog in the field. And I remember that. Yeah. Because when she's old and gray and not hunting anymore, it's like, I'm going to miss that, whether it be a, a good retrieve or eating a pile of poop in the parking lot. <laughs> she a bad poop eater. Oh yeah. Big time. Big roller. <laughs> so drop the shoulder in it. Oh yeah. I hate that. Yeah. Oh, that's the worst. That's the worst. So with Cora, um, where, where is she at with her whining? Now Georgie has a little bit of a whining thing as well. And I've talked for at length with Chris Jobman and Chris Aiken both about this, um, issue and, and how to solve it. Um, because Georgia has a bit of a whining thing too. So wh- where are you guys at with that? I don't know. I, th- I think we're getting there. Uh, I've started working mm-hmm. with another dog. So we're having two dogs running now. And that's, mm-hmm. I think that's helping us because in training, I cannot trigger a whine. If it's just me and her and a bucket of bumpers, mm-hmm. quiet. Mm-hmm. It's only when the excitement level starts to really go up where that comes out. I did it a little bit right. with some gunfire and I got her to whine a little bit. And so th- I guess what I was trying to do was get her to whine so that I can give her a denial retrieve. Right. I don't know if that's working though, but I haven't been at it long enough to really have that happen. So the whining deal, I think we're making progress on it. But at the end of the day, I really do think it's a genetic trait. Uh, that's that's the, the word on the street that I've heard from a lot of people is that the whining is just simply genetic and there's nothing you can do to make it better. I'll do my best. I trained her quiet and it, when I say quiet, it, it works. Um, and then this past weekend, I took advantage of an opportunity to use the e-collar in bark mode on her uh, and giving her denial retrieves with another dog retrieving. And that did not work. Not what's bark mode where the collar senses them barking and it stimulates until it stops at a progressive increasing level. What kind of collar do you have? Garmin sport pro love it. I had the same collar that you had. I didn't realize that they had one like that. Right. Yeah. So, so the, the, the sport dog that you advised me to get, uh, the prongs were leaving raw spots on Cora's neck, and I I wasn't putting the collar on mm. too tight. I think it's it's a like she was allergic to whatever metal was in that prong, hmm. and so I tried the Garmin collar, and have not had any of those issues. And the features on the Garmin are way better than what's on the Sport Dog, and they're about the same price. I have headlights for Cora on the collar. So I just press a button. She, she's got lights, which is great when you're driving around UTVs and stuff in the field. And, or if she goes running off when you're setting up decoys, you can always see where she is. Uh, it's got tone and vibrate separate buttons and it's continuous and momentary stimulation. Mm -hmm. Do you keep it on continuous or, or right on continuous? Do you keep it? I use both. Um, so it's, it's one button's continuous and one button's momentary. So you have the choice between either one. Mm. 
Okay. That's uh, my caller. It's you just switch on either you have it on continuous or you have it on. Um, I can't remember what the technical name for is for it when it's my return. I can't think of what it is, but I always keep it on continuous, but so I can fully control it. But t- tell me about what you said that you tried the bark collar setting and it, it, it backfired. What happened? So she started whining and then she started whining louder and then she started basically screaming and jumped out of her Momarsh blind. And it was like, I got to get this collar off my dog because it's, it was one of those moments where you're like, I'm about to ruin my bird dog because Hmm. it, it, it wouldn't shut off, but I think it does shut off after 10 seconds, but that was a really long 10 seconds. So I don't know. Do you think the pressure was just so on those, it ramps up, it ramps up as the dog is barking more and more. I wonder at what point does it stop ramping up? At what point does it turn off? And a, a lot of times dogs will be vocal just because they're being babies. I wonder what the actual collar was doing during that time. I don't know. I, I don't really know how to test it either. Yeah, let's strap it on. <laughs> <laughs> I'll find out real quick. I'm I'm sensitive to that stuff, man. I'll put it on like a two and I'll be like, yeah. Yeah. Well, we all are. Yeah. (laughs) A two. Come on. I had it. I wasn't feeling it one time. I was like, I'm not feeling it. I put it on a one. Didn't feel it. Put it on a two. Didn't feel it. I got clipped to five and all of a sudden it kicked in. I don't know why it hadn't been working. And I hit that thing like on a five or a six and I threw that thing across the room. I mean, not like intentionally threw it. It's like you just flew out of my hands. Those things have some punch to it. Um, that's interesting that the bark didn't work. My, my experience with the whining is that whenever I have tried with Georgie, what, what Georgie does is she, she will whine two times. One, if mallards are circling now, the, now her whine isn't really, really loud. In fact, it's a pretty soft whine. And I wonder even if it's, if the birds even hear, so it's not a really a loud one, but I have tried to just, you know, quiet, Nick, quiet, Nick, and it makes it worse. That stimulus I had one hunt and this was low level. I had on like a two where I bet you I nicked her 50 times in that hunt. And it was a low level, but it just absolutely does. That does not work. So then what I was trying was um, a healing stick because I had, I had, I have had success with her vocalizations with a healing stick. It makes a loud thump, but it doesn't really deliver much pain because it's mm-hmm. so flexible. If you're not sure, I don't know if you have a healing stick or if you, if you use them before, um, and so that was my plan was to use a healing stick during hunting, but it's so difficult. It's like they're in their blind. You can't use it. They're behind you in the kayak. You can't use it. It only works if you're like on a bucket or a stool and they're right there. And so I, I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I, I did have something really interesting happen though. I was snow goose hunting with Aiden and we had these, these ducks work us and come right by and I didn't shoot and she did not whine at all. And what that said to me is there, maybe there's something about my body language that's triggering it because I mean, it was during a snow goose hunt, so we weren't going to shoot ducks. So I'm just laying there all relaxed versus mm-hmm. if it were mallards coming in, my body language would be completely different. I'm wondering if, because her dad doesn't whine and neither does her mom. It's not in Georgie's family line. So mm-hmm. Jobman thinks that I somehow it's my fault. And so what I'm going to do this year is trying to control my body language a little better somehow find what I need to do with my body language to make it. I I don't know. She's gotten a little bit better at it and it doesn't ruin the hunt, but still to me, any level of whining is annoying. Um, Yeah. But, and then if she has to honor, um, if she has to honor a dog, she will, she gets pretty vocal 
if she has to honor not not so much in like hunt tests and stuff um but hunting she's a little bitch when <laughs> she has to honor it's frustrating so if you get it figured out you can help me i i don't know i think honoring and denial retrieves are probably the best way to go and so what i would do with her is if she was quiet while the dog was retrieving i'd throw a tennis ball and let her go get that Mm -hmm. so big reward for being quiet right next spring when um i wish you lived a little closer because next spring i've got a group of guys and we my little hunt test group and we work we we train our dogs all the time um sometimes like two three times a week not all the time but it's so great because there we've got our three dogs. And so if, if Georgie's not running, she's just sitting. I just, she just sits and just watches and we just make the dogs. It's so good because we bring out, um, you know, poppers like fake, sh fake shot poppers and, mm -hmm. and we simulate as much as we can. I need to, I need to get you and Cora. It's a little farther, but you need to come to some of those. We've got access to some tech ponds and it's just such good training of just that sitting and watching and and i think georgie's going to be better this year because i've i've done so much more of that this offseason than i've ever done before with her just having to sit and watch how far away from the and office so would it be you need to get i think you need to come out to some of those oh shoot not very far um how far are you i'm trying to think because you're only how far are you from leavenworth from the office i don't know maybe 20 half minutes. hour half hour 20 minutes yeah about half hour yeah yeah, we'll set some up when we'll start back up big time, like uh, April, um, and I'll I'll let you in on those. Um, and the the HRC Hunt Test group, they do stuff all over the area, and that's a really good group to get into because then you're just going out and you, there's so many people, so many dogs, and you can really simulate a, a a great atmosphere. And all those people are really cool, really nice, and and it's I think all those situations would be great for Cora, and they're just fun quite honestly. Oh yeah. If you can get out and train with other people, it, it mm -hmm. is way better than if you're doing it by yourself. Yeah. You So do you have, is there any possibility you would do any hunt testing stuff? It looks like she's at the level that she could jump into it and, and do pretty well. I would try it. I just don't know where to start or where she would need to start. Yeah. Well, you just start at the ground floor, like I did with Georgie, was it, which at the bottom level is um, started. And all started is, is they've got to be steady and you have a single, they go back and get it. Then they have to do another single and, and, uh, that's it. I think they do a walk up on one too. I can't, I'm, it's been a while since they did it, but that's pretty much it. You're just showing that they're steady and that they'll bring to hand basically. And, and that's the, bottom entry level. And that's the best place to do it because a lot of that hunt test stuff is learning yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's like you and your dog learning together. I was going to jump into seasoned and, and job. It's like, no, 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 no. -uh. And I think Georgie could have done it, but I don't know. You just, it, there's so much that goes on into it and so many rules. And it's just, you're so nervous that just getting in on seasoned is the way to go. I mean, unstarted is the way to go. And it's, yeah. it's so much more fun than I ever thought it would be. I mean, it really is a blast. So we went through those two things. Let's jump into last thing before you get out of here. Tell us about what your hunt season looks like. You said you're packing your bags. So I assume you got some trip gearing up. What What is your hunt season looking like? Well, let me pull up my calendar real quick because this thing filled up a lot more than anticipated. So um, I'll be doing a lot of stuff locally throughout September 
and then I've got a trip to North Dakota, some Nebraska. Uh, I've got a deer hunt. So I got invited to Ooh, go nice. Where's that at? on about 30 minutes from my house. Okay. I got a, I got an invite from Remington to go on a media hunt. So I'll get to go try out the new rifle cartridge and go shoot a big old buck. So I'm, oh, I'm looking cool. forward to that because I've, I've never shot a big buck before. I've only shot one deer. And I was a, have you shot a deer before? Have, when I was how many deer have you shot? One. I've never shot one. Yeah, I'm going to take my wife deer hunting this year. Oh, that'll be cool. Yeah. And then um, going to Texas, shoot some cranes, and then back to Nebraska, shoot some honkers. Well, it's coming fast. I mean, by the time people are listening to this, it's it's off and racing for sure. So it is right on us. It's been a long layoff, and I don't know about you, but I am ready to get back in except this damn weather. Drive me nuts. I think it'll be good. I think it's going to be a good year. Let's just hope we can keep water. Yeah, well, the last couple of weeks and the next week are sucking it all dry. I've got a bunch of teal spots located and all ready to go, and now I've got to go all through my scouting progressions again just to see what's happened with the water. Are you going to do any teal hunting? I don't have anything planned right now, which is a big bummer, but that's just mm-hmm. the nature of the beast. I I I would go right. one day, but I have a wedding to go to, so... That would not work, but maybe I'll squeak yeah. something in. We'll see. Cool. Well, let everyone know uh, where they can find you and uh, close this thing down. Well, I got Instagram, Facebook, Outdoor Limits, YouTube, Outdoor Limits. That's pretty much all I use. TikTok takes down everything I post. <laughs> yeah, TikTok. I deleted that a long time ago. I don't have any time for that. It was taking way too much of my time. My my TikTok feed was the funniest feed on the planet, though, I'll tell you that. I, I'd sit there for hours just laughing. Mine's full of but conspiracy theories. Anyway, what? Yeah. Oh, I like that conspiracy theory stuff. I don't believe in it, but I like it. It's, it's I like listening to it. My wife does kind of believe in it a little bit. That She's got a little bit, a little bit. She's been talking about Bigfoot a little bit. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Well, anyway, thank you for taking the time to join me. I hope that you have a lot of success with the dub field. And I know that I'll be waiting for those videos and and checking them out. uh, Appreciate you coming on here. So until next time, you've listened to another episode of the North American Waterfowler Podcast.